AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey guys, it's Forward Thinking. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. And we are still back. Uh, if you listened to the previous episode, Water on Mars, you know that we were on hiatus for a while. We are now back. And this is the second of two episodes we recorded before we were officially on hiatus. But Way never... back in October of yeah. 2015. So we're going to tell you the future of the past. Yes. Um, yeah, this is this is something that we recorded back in October 2015. It's all about Li-Fi. And uh, so some of the references may be a t- tad dated because we were recording a few months ago. But we wanted to release it because we were really proud of it, Mm -hmm. thought it was a good episode, and we've got lots of new episodes coming up in the next year. So we wanted to get back on on track, get things going, and uh, hope you enjoy this now classic new episode (laughs) of Forward Thinking. (laughs) 
and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says there's a light over at the Frankenstein place. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Volkebaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. Hey, so guys, uh, you know, we talked about something uh, a year ago or so. We're recording this in October 2015. But about a year ago, uh, September 2014, we talked about a problem that's happening and it's happening across the developed world, places where the Internet has reached real penetration. And that problem is that a lot of the devices we use rely on radio signals to communicate with the infrastructure that connects to the Internet backbone. Ah, the spectrum crunch. Is yes, that what you're talking to? Exactly. Yeah. The spectrum crunch. That's a real issue. And the issue is not something where, like, you have an, a limited amount of radio in the entire world and it's all going to go away. It's very much a, a a kind of a congestion. Think of it like a traffic jam in a particular region. Uh, yeah, for the same reason that they ask you to put your phone on airplane mode when you're in an airplane it is this thing that we're talking about because signal interference can become a very serious issue in that case. Well, not only just signal interference, but if you've got too many, like, have you ever been in, let's say, a um, a really crowded coffee shop and you want to connect to the Wi-Fi there, but you occasionally find that you're being bumped off the Wi-Fi or things are really slowing down and clogging up? Often it's because whatever Wi-Fi router the coffee shop is using has a lower capacity than what is being demanded of it. So in other words, the, our, the devices we use have a limited ability to deal with the demand that we are placing upon them. And it's getting worse by the day because not only are we getting more smartphones and tablets and smart watches and all this other stuff that's using those radio waves, we're also entering the era of the Internet of Things, which is requiring even more stuff to connect to. So that your fridge and your car tires and your yeah. Rubik's Cube can right. all connect to the Internet. Your cufflinks. Your dog's yeah. collar. We Your hatchet. Actually, yes. Uh, our mystical axe is um, not Wi-Fi enabled, but we're getting an upgrade. Soon. So, Your Rubik's Cube is on the Internet. <laughs> yeah. Joe failed to solve me again. <laughs> yeah. That would essentially <laughs> just, it would just be a message like that for me all the time. Jonathan has has low spatial awareness. Uh, so uh, the interesting thing here is that this problem is not going to go away. It's not going to it's not going to get any easier. In fact, there are places like here in the United States that have recently declared uh, broadband access as being a necessity, not a luxury. Uh, there was a White House report that came out earlier in uh, 2015 that sp- specifically called out broadband access as a necessity. And they defined broadband as, I think, 25 megabits per second or faster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, me- Meaning same like electricity, right? Oh, or- yeah, yeah. Well, because because knowledge and, and interconnectivity is critical in yeah. this, our modern world. Yes, we we rely on it for communication. We rely on it for for commerce. So we have this this problem and we have this uh, more this increasing urgency to find a way of dealing with it. Uh, and there are other issues with Wi-Fi besides the fact that. They, you can have a capacity crunch in any given time and place, depending upon demand. Another is that they're not always that efficient to use these radio waves. Uh, in fact, that's all they do. And so you're dedicating them to this one purpose. And I think the, the, um, the percentage I saw was that they are essentially 5% efficient in the amount of energy Oof. you're using them and the amount of actual work they're doing. Hmm. Yeah, so 95% of the energy you're pouring into these things is 
just being bled away. Uh, also, like you were saying, Lauren, you've got the problem with interference. You know, that's why you aren't allowed to use uh, devices uh, in uh, on airplanes uh, unless you've switched it to Wi-Fi. You can't use the cellular data. Uh, you can't uh, use them in places like hospitals where it might interfere with medical equipment. That's another issue. Sure. I've got a complaint. When I wrap my computer up in aluminum foil, it can't get a Wi-Fi signal. Right, but they also can't can't see what you're doing anymore, right? So <laughs> that is the important part. That's we call it our well, NSA protection case. <laughs> and you can't see what you're doing anymore either. Well, so that's you're protecting true. your fragile sanity. Yeah, I'm, he's, he's I'm trying to come up with some transparent aluminum foil. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a movie for you to watch. Uh, so. Uh, Another issue, and, and I didn't even put this in our notes, but another one that needs to be addressed is the notion of security. I mean, obviously, there's the – the you've always heard, I'm sure you guys out there have heard that things like, like open Wi-Fi networks are risky because you never know who else is on that network and who might be intercepting your data. Right. Jonathan, earlier you were like, you go to a coffee shop and use their Wi-Fi. I'm like, uh, no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends on the coffee shop too, right? I mean, it yeah. depends on it depends on multiple things. Like, uh, is the is the Wi-Fi protected in the coffee shop? Even if it is, there's still the chance. No, that it's unsecured. Sniffing. But if it's secured, the password is coffee, right? Or or one two three coffee or something along those lines. But you know, even with all those things, uh, if you're you know not doing your banking or whatever, maybe you're not too concerned about it. Yeah. But uh, one potential solution to all of these problems is to replace the radio part of this communication, the 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 communication between devices and the infrastructure that connects to the Internet backbone with something besides radio. So a guy standing up on a table in the room holding flags up. Uh, well, similar in that the communication would depend upon light. And if we wanted to use flags, then obviously light is necessary because I don't know if you've tried to communicate via semaphore and pitch darkness with unlit flags, not terribly productive. What if the flags are glow in the dark? That's flags? different. Then okay. you got but there's some blurring issues too. I guess the flags probably would mean it would take a long time to download a file. So what's something <laughs> I, that would we're be talking about like the the twenty four hundred baud modem days. Yeah. <laughs> like, so what's something that would be a little bit faster than a guy holding up flag signals? Actual light. I mean, actually using light in place of radio waves. Like pulses of light, sort of. Kind of, yeah. Like, like changing the amplitude of light, so the intensity of light, uh, in order to communicate. Which is not and, that unusual. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we, we've been doing it for a very, very long time, but we're talking about something that would have to move a little bit faster than, for example, uh, beacons. Right, yes. Like the old days where, you know, the, you're, you, you are, a, a messenger and you see that uh, there are invaders coming in at the northern border of the country you live in. So ah. you light the beacon to alert everybody else. It's that scene in Lord of the Rings where they light the beacon to uh, to call the who are the writers of Rowan. Yes. Yeah. Don't test me, buddy. Uh, <laughs> I was actually just playing the Shadows of Mordor game and the orcs use beacons in that game. Boy, are they irritating. Anyway, uh, Greeks and Romans were using mirrored plates to send messages using light. They would flash light in, in a series of flashes to indicate one thing or another. Uh, there's the famous story in American history 
uh, during the Revolutionary War in which the Old North Church in Boston was used to alert messengers to the troop movements of British troops. Uh, the whole one if by land, two if by sea ah. uh, is re- mm-hmm. referred to in Longfellow's poem, Paul Revere's Ride, which may or may not be apocryphal. There's some arguments, historically speaking, about what exactly happened. Uh, essentially, people say that, yes, lights were used. Whether or not it was the Old North Church is still a matter of some debate. But at any rate, We've been using lights like this for ages. Uh, yeah, and that that is definitely encoding data in light. But it, right, it's pretty limited. The the fancy word, which Jonathan just mentioned earlier, actually, is semaphore, yeah. uh, which just means an object that can be placed in different positions uh, or conditions to convey different messages, like, like flag signals. Yeah. If you think about it, you could even have set up a semaphore type of signaling system uh, with office mates where you just have a quietly, uh, like a little cabal who all know that the placement of certain office equipment or 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 accoutrement in certain locations on certain desks conveys a meaning. And from your blank stares, I can tell neither of you are in it. Never mind, I didn't say anything. So <laughs> uh, by the early 1800s, the United States was experimenting with a technology called heliographs. Uh, these were solar telegraphs. They actually used sunlight and mirrors to try and send messages from signal towers. That sounds like some steampunk stuff. It does, doesn't it? It also yeah. reminds me of a Terry Pratchett novel uh, in which there was a, a whole system set up that was uh, competing with the mail on Discworld. But at any rate, they would use Morse code and flash out messages to one another and send messages down the line of uh, signal towers to get the message to where it needs to go. Uh, then there was a guy, uh, you may have heard of him, Alexander Graham Bell. Who? Yeah. Uh, so he invented- Is he the guy who invented graham crackers? <laughs> uh, he was a close friend to the Kellogg's. No. Uh, he invented a device called the Photophone in 1880, and it used a vibrating mirror to encode voice transmissions on a beam of light. And then you would have a selenium photocell that could pick up that light and convert it back into sound. And it only worked in sunlight. You had to have sunlight blasting down on this thing in order for you to get enough light to send the message. Mm-hmm. But it was really neat. And he invented this just four years after he patented the telephone. He had so much hope for this thing. Supposedly, he wanted to name one of his daughters after it. He was so fond of it. Uh, that Wanted also to name her Photophone? Photophone, yeah. Didn't, didn't work out. Good thing for her. Um, <laughs> Maybe he could have named her Photophonicia or something. Oh, that's kind of you know. nice. It's sort of pretty. Yeah. I'm not sure. But, but, but it was really, really cool. Uh, it, it was, it was the series of mirrors and lenses that would direct a beam of sunlight. And, and yeah, they tried it with kerosene lamplight, but it didn't work well enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so it would direct a beam of sunlight to a mirror attached to the mouthpiece that you spoke into, uh, which would, the mirror would then bounce the light uh, off through more lenses and onto a receiver. So when you spoke, the mirror would vibrate, thus changing the intensity of the light that was hitting the receiver. And yeah, uh, it, it worked. It worked real well. Very clear uh, sound effects coming through. But it also would pick up noises like, a, like like clouds passing across the sun. Right. Because you have a interruption in the signal, uh-huh. right? So, so if you've ever been wondering what that sounds like... <laughs> It's, it's probably something akin to uh, weird static, I would imagine. But I now I really want to know. I know, right? This is getting cooler and cooler. 
Well, it keeps getting cooler. By the 1950s, we have researchers who were looking into using light through cabling systems to create new communication technologies. So to get around this problem of only being able to use sunlight or some other visible light within uh, uh, the area to communicate, they wanted to be able to pass light through cabling, uh, essentially creating very reflective cables that could pass a light signal down them. We're talking about the birth of fiber optics here. And in April 1977, we had the first optic telephone cable put into service. It was owned by General Telephone and Electronics. Soon afterward, other telephone companies were installing fiber optic cables. And those are really the backbone of our telecommunications infrastructure at this point. Like we think of copper as a, as a signal carrier quite often, but really fiber optics are, that's, that's the true backbone for most of the uh, telecommunications around the world. Now, all that's cool, but what if we were able to go back to Bell's idea of using visible light to communicate? So in other words, what if we were to use light to transmit data through the air and not through cables? So not a system that you hook up to your computer with a physical cord, but rather light, ambient light in the, your environment, being able to communicate data. And then that would mean we could open up the entire spectrum of visible light for communication. Is that possible? I mean, that sounds very interesting. One of the things that I often think about is all of the data that's passing through and around us all the time. Yeah, it's every, like the force. Yeah, everywhere you go, there are signals bounding around. I mean, there, you're walking through the range of Wi-Fi routers, but there are also cell towers. Sure, radio broadcast towers. Yeah, stuff's going through you all the time. And it's very bizarre to think, what if you could see all of that? Right. And then, of course, there are people who believe that they are their health is affected by these things. Not that we've seen any real medical evidence to support such things, but there are people who truly believe. Oh, yeah. Who who won't be around Wi-Fi routers at all. Yeah, because they say that it it impacts their health in a Mm -hmm. negative way. Yeah, it it really doesn't. These things very much are in the uh, kind of between the microwave and the radio frequency on the spectrum, the electromagnetic spectrum. And they're they're. Very safe. There, yeah. There's a very, very low probability uh, that that they are in any way affecting anyone's health, especially from a distance of more than like two centimeters. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's non-ionizing radiation. It's right. just not that part of the spectrum mm-hmm. that's going to knock molecules loose and right. upset your DNA. What it could possibly do is maybe heat up your skin. Possibly. Yeah. There, so, there can be electromagnetic interference that can cause... Uh, other issues, and we'll talk about that. And I think I think the World Health Organization has listed it as a potential carcinogen. Now, that so you can say that, but another thing to note would be that the sun is a known carcinogen. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's absolutely so accurate. <laughs> if you're okay going out in the sun, yeah, you should probably be okay getting around a Wi-Fi router every now and then. You might not want to sleep with your head resting on one every day, but... Yeah. yeah. Well, the only reason I even brought it up, and I was hesitant <laughs> to bring it up, because... All those Wi-Fi pillows. Yeah. So comfy. <laughs> Sorry. Because I'm, I am very skeptical of the thought that Wi-Fi and other uh, radio frequency communication can have... A a, a physical effect on people, uh, particularly at the intensities of our, you know, our Wi-Fi routers, things of that nature. I'm very skeptical of that. However, the reason, one of the reasons I brought it up is because it was one of the benefits that was being touted by 
Li-Fi using light instead of radio signals to transmit this data at this last segment between the backbone of the Internet and whatever device you want to use uh, that, well, one of the many benefits is that you couldn't complain about the the wireless signals hurting you because it's using visible light. If it if if that hurts you, then just being in a room with a lamp would hurt you. Uh, but at any rate, let's talk about what. <laughs> well, so one of the benefits is that it counteracts something that is probably not a problem to begin with. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, uh, and that was actually my very reaction that you just had. But really, let's talk about Li-Fi. Yeah. So, super cool idea. You know, it's an offshoot of a broader category called Optical Wireless Communications, or OWC, which does not necessarily have to deal with uh, visible light. It could be anything in the light spectrum. So that could also involve infrared or ultraviolet, something along those lines. Uh, so there is another branch, a, a smaller one called Visible Light Communications, or VLC, and LiFi would be part of that. Uh, the term was coined by Harold Haas, who is a, a professor and also has worked with um, a company called Pure Li-Fi to develop uh, a system. Yeah, he's their chief science officer. Yeah. Uh, and so this is all about using light within the visible spectrum. And the reason being that he's concentrated on that is that other types of light, like infrared, can be harmful to your eyes. And ultraviolet, as we know, can cause things like skin cancer if you have too much exposure to ultraviolet. Uh, so he presented a TED Talk on this subject. And in that TED Talk, he called it D-Light, which I thought was delightful. Hmm. I put it in the notes and I had to say it too. Uh, and he wanted, he used a system that was called a orthogonal frequency division multiplexing or OFDM, which sounds pretty fancy, but honestly, it gets really simple. It's all about amplifying the signal from an LED light source. And you do that by varying the electric current that's flowing through the LED. And that's all you need to do is just vary that current. By varying the current, you've, you change the amplification of that light. If you have a receiver that can pick up these minute, subtle variations, then they can then uh, decode that as the information that you had intended to send. So you could do this like you could send a movie this way. You could have a light bulb that has a little microprocessor attached to it, and it is pulling the signal from whatever a feed is coming into your home from the internet. So let's say that you've got the internet backbone, you've got fiber optic, let's say, that runs to your house. Uh, from there, you would have a system that would take that signal, convert it into the uh, language that would be picked up by this microprocessor and a light bulb. The light bulb would then uh, flash at the frequency, the amplitude changes according to whatever data was being sent, but do so so rapidly that your human eyes would be incapable of detecting it. So it would just look like the light bulb's on. It wouldn't look like the light bulb's like going. Like it was flickering. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't like, yeah, it wouldn't be a disco. It wouldn't your, be like a woo ghostly light bulb. No, 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 it would be very subtle to the point where, uh, because it'd be at such a high frequency, it would just seem like a steady light source to us. And meanwhile, any devices outfitted with a sensor that could pick up these subtle variations in light amplitude would be able to accept that information. So with the movie example, you could have a home theater where you've got uh, very dim lights on and you've got a receiver of some sort that can take uh, – ha it has that, that sensor on it that can detect the changes in light. It's connected to your entertainment system and you are beaming the film you're watching 
through light. There's no physical connection to the entertainment system. There's no radio connection. There are no radio waves going on at all. It's just light beaming that information down, which is pretty awesome. And it can do it pretty effectively. Uh, uh, at the TED Talk, he demonstrated this. He had a, a, a desk lamp set up that had a light bulb with one of these microprocessors attached to it. And the lamp was hooked up through uh, a system that fed it the the data it needed and was set on the table. And the table had a little hole drilled into it. Mm-hmm. And through that hole, light would go through that little hole. And on the underside of the table was a sensor that was then connected to a projector. So he turned on the lamp and the lamp sent information to the sensor that started a video, a high-definition video playing behind him as he gave his talk. And then he demonstrated by interrupting the light source. In other words, he stuck his hand over the hole and it interrupted the data stream. So the video paused. It was as if your wireless had dropped. And if you've ever had that experience where suddenly, uh, you know, it starts to buffer or it's going through like trying to search for a signal, same sort of thing. He moved his hand and it started up again. So it was an example of, yes, this is live. This is a live feed of information from a light bulb to a computer system and showing you how that information can be transferred just using light. Pretty awesome. Now, the reason he used LEDs was specifically because LEDs work on uh, their semiconductors. Mm -hmm. And you can easily control them by varying that electric frequent or the uh, the electric current that goes to those semiconductors. So you can make minute changes very, very quickly. And this is different from other types of light bulbs. Oh, yeah. You could not do this with an incandescent bulb. Right. Because incandescent bulbs, what they do is you have – they're essentially resistors, right? You have this filament that resists the flow of electricity. As a result, it heats up. Eventually, it heats up to a temperature that allows it to incandesce or to glow. It needs time to heat up. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, it, needs, it needs that time. So that would be a rave. That yes, it if, would, if you tried to use an incandescent bulb. Yes, yeah, it would not be able to transmit at near the speed of an LED bulb. And then, of course, if you wanted to do this with fluorescent lights, you might as well do the guy with the flags on the table. Yeah, yeah same thing. Because fluorescent lights, they use uh, a, a gas that gets excited by electricity. That then emits excites another gas that then emits photons. Yeah, and those photons are usually in the ultraviolet range. So you have to actually ha- you know, put uh, a a, um, a a substance on the inside of the fluorescent bulbs that will fluoresce in the visible spectrum once it's hit by ultraviolet photons. It's kind of a it's weird a chain reaction. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's like a it's like a bucket brigade <laughs> for for people who fight fires. Yeah. Uh, so when they first started showing this off back in the TED talk, it was pretty much at a speed of around 10 megabits per second, which is, that's okay. I mean, it's yeah. not, it's no longer what broadband is considered here in the U.S. Uh, no, I, I just, for, for an example of how that compares to, say, my Wi-Fi on my computer from about a minute and a half ago, uh, I, I'm currently registering, uh, download speeds of about 43 megabits per second so, and so, upload speeds of about 14 megabits per second. Right. So much so, faster. Yes. But, those that was just the starting off point mm-hmm. and the Haas himself is working on systems that are much uh, more advanced than that including ones that would be using not LEDs but lasers low powered lasers so it's not like they're going to blind you you know it's not like you're going to be have a bunch of laser pointers going crazy in your house it would be hard to sell something that blinded people yeah it's if it 
as long well, as it wasn't no, like... hold on. What if it blinds somebody else instead of you? <laughs> oh. Right, right, if it's the Blindotron 2000, like it's specifically marketed to blind people. At any rate, the, these lasers are not of that nature. And, that uh, became a sad story fast. I'm sorry. <laughs> please, please continue. Well, but the, the neat thing about the laser system is that it might be able to achieve a throughput of around 100 gigabits per second, which is insanely fast, right? When we say fast, obviously... Once again, we don't necessarily mean that the data is moving at a faster speed. More like more data can move through that pathway at the same time. It's throughput. It's not how fast the cars on the highway are driving, but how many lanes there are. Yeah. So in this case, 100 gigabits per second means that you would be able to have really high quality video, for example, beaming through at this with no buffering necessary. It would be uh, pretty phenomenal. And so so that process is still in, or that uh, technology, rather, is still in development. Yes. The LEDs, I've heard, are closer to around uh, one between 1 and 10 gigabits per second at their current level, uh, which still, I mean, 1 gigabit per second, we're talking about Google Fiber speeds around mm-hmm. there, right? 10 gigabits per second, it's 10 times what's considered ultra-fast uh, download speeds according to the current state of the art here in the United States. Um, in his TED Talk, Haas actually said that one of the reasons they looked at this is really that radio frequency capacity crunch. That was a real big reason to look at it. We're adding more and more devices and we're having more issues with uh, local access points getting bogged down with traffic. So what if we were able to relieve some of that traffic by switching to this light method? And he pointed out that with the visible light spectrum, you have about 10,000 times more capacity than within the entire radio band spectrum. Uh, keeping in mind that lots of the radio band spectrum are already – they're already earmarked for other things that uh, we can't touch. Uh, right, right. They're reg- regulated by yeah. governments of various countries to say that like, oh, we're, we're setting this aside for this type of official communication and this aside for television and this aside for – Right, terrestrial radio mm-hmm. or radar or whatever. You know, so there there are certain sections that you just can't do anything with because they're already dedicated for other uses. Uh, this would allow us to use a band of frequency in the electromagnetic spectrum that is unregulated and has 10,000 times more capacity. Currently unregulated. Yes. If we were to start using it, you could be sure that sooner or later regulation would probably have to follow just to make certain that you didn't have a bunch of competing communications uh, systems in a similar place that were just going to cause confusion. Uh, so, for example, imagine that you're in a mall and the lights are all outfitted with this stuff, but they have been installed over various different times and are all working on different um, different proprietary approaches. And meanwhile, your device is going crazy because it's receiving all these different signals simultaneously. It'd be like everyone's yelling at the same time. Another neat thing is that this would eliminate the possibility of someone snooping in on your Wi-Fi as long as they're not in the same room you are in. Because, uh, right, because light doesn't go through walls. Right. As long as you're not like, you know, in a big glass cube uh, <laughs> where people could just walk up and hold up a device outside of your, your giant glass cube, uh, then you'd be fine. You You wouldn't have, you know, it would allow for some secure communications protocols that could be really useful in lots of different places. I mean, imagine just from... 
business standpoint. Imagine having a uh, business, um, like an office outfitted with this stuff so that way proprietary secrets would remain uh, more secure. If someone got access to that, then you would know they have access to your people, not to your technology. Or, or they have physical been, access to your space. Yeah, yeah, or that you've been posting things on Google Docs or whatever. Right. Yeah, yeah if they, they found it through some other, like, some other loophole, but not within your, your actual like wireless system. Um, and you could, uh, you could even use this to transmit information if you have other lights active in the area. When he was demonstrating it as TED talk, Haas showed that this lamp was on a lit stage. It wasn't as if they turned all the lights off and the lamp still, the lamp worked. Mm-hmm. They had ambient light from other lighting sources, but because the sensor is really just looking for those those subtle modulations, it doesn't matter whether they're light sources you have, assuming they're not also modulating at a super high frequency that could f- throw in some interference, especially at, at the same frequency of light that your source is at. Right. Because theoretically, you could set the re- the receiver to only look at a certain frequency of light and ignore everything else, in which case that would really you know, free you up quite a bit. In fact, it would allow you to have multiple devices all getting information from a single source, as long as that single source had multiple LEDs that could all use slightly different frequencies, mm-hmm. which is all pretty inf- in- interesting, in my opinion. Uh, and he said that you could even turn down the lights low enough so that it wouldn't be perceptible to humans, like it would be at a low enough level where it would seem as if the lights are off but would still emit enough light for a sensitive receiver to pick up those modulations. So in other words, you don't always have to have the lights on full blast in order for you to get the data from your light bulb to your computer or whatever. I'm just imagining this as the premise to a movie about the electronic source that drives people crazy. And <laughs> So and like the signal, but instead of radio yeah. frequencies, it's light. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or or the premise behind uh, Chuck, where he sees a series of images and that somehow imprints all of the NSA and CIA's secrets into his brain. I Not just, Chuck Bryant. No, no, no. The, the television series, right. Chuck, which I just started rewatching, <laughs> which is the only reason why it was fresh in my mind. Um, th- but that that I thought was pretty interesting was that, you know, again, you can play around with the levels of human perception so that you can still transmit this information without having to have all your lights on. Uh, like full blast. Um, and then, like I said, Pure Li-Fi, that's the one of the companies working on this and one that Haas works with, uh, is working on systems that could be deployed in the real world. And they're also looking at how do you make this practical? How do you make it in a way where if you are on the move between one area serviced by Li-Fi into another, you can have a seamless uh, um, experience? Because, you know, like the way we use cell phones, if you're using a cell phone, if you're on the phone and you're traveling and you move from one cell tower service area into another's, there's a handshake that goes on that has a handoff from one cell tower to the other, which allows you to continue your, continue your phone call. If we didn't have this technology, once you left that first broadcast area, you're, you would drop a call. You would not be able to continue that conversation. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that everyone has had the experience of driving through an area that's kind of slightly between two different cell towers. And and therefore, you, you miss a little bit of a, I mean, maybe your call drops off in the middle. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so they're working on creating technology that will that will let that be just as seamless with their with their Li-Fi products. Mm-hmm. And they demonstrated one of these products called Li-Flame at the Mobile World Congress in March of 2015, which was 
in China somewhere. I forget where. But uh, it's, it's on the market, supposedly has been shipped to a few commercial buyers already. And, and, I, and I think uh, I, the numbers that I've read for that particular version of Live Flame are, are that it has a 10 megabit per second uplink and downlink. That's still pretty impressive, especially, I mean, imagine that you could have this on two devices and allow those two devices to communicate securely mm-hmm. without using radio frequency. So in other words, let's say that we're sitting at this table and I wanted to send a large file to Joe, but I didn't want it to go over the Wi-Fi. If both of our computers had cameras and uh, lights attached to them so that I could beam that directly to Joe, you know, it would just look like the little LED on my my computer was just lit. Then to us, it would just seem like it was on and that's it. But it would actually be beaming that information with those very tiny modulations. That's another reason why people have been touting Li-Fi as a, a good example, a good replacement for Wi-Fi in certain applications because it would allow for that secure uh, communication, assuming that whomever is wanting to spy on you is not within line of sight. If they could get line of sight to a point where they could also have a receiver getting that light, then obviously they could intercept that information as well. But Though, it, I mean, just a second here, I would think that you could just as easily encrypt an optical light signal in the visible spectrum as you could encrypt a radio signal, right? So in other words, have an encryption so that uh, the data is meaningless unless you have the key. Yeah. yeah it, I mean, I, I don't see any reason why encryption would be dependent on the spectrum. No, you absolutely could do that. You absolutely could do that. It's just the question of whether or not – you would have the direct access to the encrypted data because, again, like we've said before, encryption gives you a certain level of security, but there is no such thing so far as perfect encryption. Mm-hmm. Uh, if someone is determined enough and has an access to enough processors, even just using brute force, they can oh, eventually break encryption. Yeah, I mean, assuming that – assuming the person doesn't have a quantum computer or right. something. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm thinking of this in the use of things like – High-level government officials who need to be able to send an inf- information secretly to one another, where you're, you know, that's a case where you're talking about. There's enough of an incentive to go through the trouble of trying to break that encryption. Yeah. Now, if it's me sending you a a file of a bunch of actors from Miami Connection, it's probably not <laughs> going to be as big a deal. We're just not that interesting. Yeah. No. Uh, so um, <laughs> forward thinking. Not that interesting. (laughs) One of the many slogans that we ultimately (laughs) decided not to use for this show. Uh, We also we also want to point out that this this Li-Fi technology would really be more about replacing that Wi-Fi point of connection, right? It's not about turning the internet into just light, right? The the backbone of the internet would remain the backbone of the internet. The oh, infrastructure yeah. would not change. Uh, because Partially because of the range of this kind of thing. Like, it, it's, yeah. it's really only going to go about three meters before it starts becoming less than effective. Yeah. And it's really... It's about 10 feet. Yeah. That, that, thank you. It's really also just good for one-way communication for most applications, uh, especially if you're thinking about like in your home. And let's say that you want to use Li-Fi instead of Wi-Fi. Well, unless you have all of your devices uh, with uh, bright lights that can communicate back up through the receivers and you have receivers all over your home, this is not that, you know, 
that's not that useful. Like if you move out from one room to another room, you would have to have these receivers in every room. It's not like Wi-Fi where you could, in theory, set up a router in one part of your house and it serves the whole house. Right. Right. So like, for example, I live in a house that has multiple floors. It's it's kind of like in a flat style. Ironically, uh, it's flat, but has multiple floors. Anyway, I put it in the middle level of this of my house and I get service both in the bottom floor and the top floor. It wouldn't work that way with Wi-Fi. I would have to have the light bulbs and receivers in all those rooms in order to have two-way communication. You must have a good router. I, I, I have a hard time getting a signal in the next room. Well, also, my the way my house is designed, it's like it's almost like a chimney in that it has a stairway, an open stairway that goes all the way from the bottom all the way to the top. Uh-huh. So it's not like there are doorways or anything. You, you pretty much have – a big chamber <laughs> that's that's divided by floors, but yeah, it's it's actually quite a. It seems to be a pretty decent router. I do get fine service in whatever rooms I happen to be in, but uh, Wi-Fi would be different for that. It would be really good for one-way communication where you wanted to beam something like movies or uh, pictures, sound files, that kind of stuff. So um, if you look at the Pure Wi-Fi page, for example, they say, well. One of the places where we're seeing a lot of Wi-Fi crunch is in consumption. The fact that people want to use their internet connections to watch stuff like Netflix or they want to use it to uh, to watch YouTube. You know, these things that require a lot of data throughput. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, video games, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So it might be better to use Li-Fi to take some of that uh, that load off of the wireless spectrum. But you would still use Wi-Fi in your devices to communicate back up through the, hmm. the Internet. So it would be kind of a tag team. And part of that is because, you know, you mentioned, you know, uplink versus downlink. In most data plans, you'll see that your downlink data, uh, your data rate tends to be much higher downlink than uplink. Sure. And it's because largely that most of us end up consuming more than we upload. Uh, the people in this room, kind of an exception because we do lots of audio and video. Mm-hmm. But for most people, they're consuming more than they're generating. So to them, they're more, they're more interested in getting a very fast rate, getting the stuff to their computers than to upload because most of the time they're uploading relatively small files. Mm-hmm. Um, so this would not be that big of a difference between those kind of plans and, and life, li- uh, so that's kind of interesting, but another potential use of Li-Fi that Haas pointed out actually in his TED talk was imagine that you have a system where all the headlights in cars have this technology outfitted them and the traffic signals do too. And then you could have cars and even their brake lights could have this too. You, you, all the cars could communicate with one another. They could also communicate with the traffic system. You could have a real-time interactive dynamic traffic system that responds to changing conditions based upon the communication that's going through when people are driving. Now, granted, this would require headlights to be on in order for this to work. Obviously, if you Mm -hmm. didn't have your headlights on, then you're not transmitting any information. You could receive it, but you wouldn't be able to transmit it. So we're saying that the incredible feature involves a lot of cars all having their headlights on all the time, but never getting stuck at stoplights when nobody is going the other way. Possibly. Possibly. At least we would have a, a robust, dynamic traffic system at night. <laughs> at the very least. Like, if it's not during the day, they would at least be at night, uh, which is kind of cool. It's an interesting idea. And it was one that I had to think about for a while because I was trying to 
you know, what applications would I see this being uh, practical for? And when it comes down to my smartphone, I'm not sure that it'd be that practical because I could, I could again, watch stuff on my phone. I could pull stuff down. Well, as long as you were very carefully standing in a place where you were receiving the light transmission, because yeah. if you moved, if, if you like shifted so that your head was blocking. Right. And then I would block the signal. Yeah. yeah. That, so this definitely has its limitations. Uh, so I think it's really important to to note that, right, to take that into account, saying, all right, light is not going to completely replace Wi-Fi in all applications everywhere. It's not practical. But there are some that make sense. For example, underwater, if you want to do uh, uh, like a scientific survey of an area and you're using multiple underwater rovers, then you need a way to communicate with those. And light might be better than radio because radio signals attenuate underwater. It's why we don't use radar. We use sonar underwater, not radar. Uh, but light would be very useful in that case. You could use this uh, amplification modulation to communicate between various vehicles or tools to be able to do more effective surveys underwater, uh, all sorts of different applications there. So it may be that when we have our underwater hotels that we talked about many, many moons ago, <laughs> yeah. this is how we end up communicating with each other. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not going to hold my breath. Oh, I, I see what you did there, Jonathan. I'm almost ashamed of that. And getting back to the idea of using light instead of radio frequencies in environments where radio frequencies might not be safe, so hospitals or potentially planes, although there's a lot of people who argue that the whole plane thing is, is uh, yeah. <laughs> greatly exaggerated, uh, or in areas where electromagnetic interference could potentially cause a catastrophic event like a petrochemical manufacturing plant where if you had electromagnetic uh, interference in part of the system, it could cause an explosion. Um, light is harmless in that scenario. You could use light instead to transmit information and get around that electromagnetic frequency interference. And uh, and so it could be really useful in those applications. Um don't know if we're going to see that because, I mean, at least for airplanes, obviously it would require that people have devices that are compatible with this technology. Um, and unless it becomes so widespread that everything comes with it, it may, that may never happen, but it might end up being something that is used to transmit information directly to an entertainment system that's embedded in the plane itself. That's a possibility. Uh, so I thought that was all very interesting and, you know, it's a neat idea. It's a neat way to get around this radio frequency spectrum crunch, at least in specific applications. And obviously, it's this kind of thinking that is required for us to continue on this path of um, evolution as we add more and more demands to this Internet infrastructure we've built. Yeah, I'm really excited to see whether or not it, it picks up. Yeah, me too. I, I've been interested in, in reading about it over the past Year and it's recently popped up again as as people have uh, uh, kind of rediscovered it or some people have discovered it for the first time and um, I would love to see a demonstration of this personally like an actual demonstration I'm I'm so I kick myself that there was apparently a demonstration of a smartphone outfitted with a receiver that would allow it to take in this information at CES 2014. You were there. I was there, and I didn't know about it. Oh. It, 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 I, it, I'm kicking well, myself. There's, there's so much at CES. It's not like you can see every single thing on the there, show floor. There are 
upwards of a dozen booths at CES. Uh, <laughs> every More couple of square three. feet. Yeah. 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 No, CES has a lot, stu- lot of stuff going on, but this would have been one of those things that I wish I had known about going into it because it would have been, I clearly would have covered it. Uh, this would have been a, a great story for forward thinking. But uh, here's hoping that I might see something similar to that next CES. So uh, hope springs eternal. But this was really fun to kind of talk about this technology. We don't often focus on a specific tech uh, like this. Uh, we tend to look at more broad topics, but this was kind of fun to look at a, a specific implementation. If you guys have anything futuristic that you want us to talk about, whether it's a specific type of technology or it's just an idea, you know, what will X be like in the future? You need to get in touch with us. Let us know. We love to hear from you. Our email address is fwthinking at howstuffworks.com or you can drop us a line on Facebook, Twitter, or Google Plus. At Twitter and Google Plus, we are fwthinking or at Facebook, just search fwthinking. Our profile will pop up. You can leave us a message there and we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. I love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. 
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.